0: yo 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 yo! welcome to the x-factor sports podcast we are finally here we are re-airing the first episode this is season one episode one i want to thank you guys for tuning in the wait is over it is time we are here baby all right i am jay mundane i want to thank y'all for stopping by tapping in we are live on youtube and facebook live tonight We're going to get into a lot of different topics tonight. So we're going to start with the NBA Conference Finals, the playoffs. We got the Eastern Conference Finals playing right now. We got the Celtics in the heat. Last night, we had the Nuggets and the Lakers playing game one. We're going to get into both of those games. We're going to get into both of those series. And we're going to talk about NFL. The schedules came out last week. We're going to talk about who has the toughest schedule and who has the easiest schedule based on last year's records. We're going to get into both number one and number two draft picks, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. We're going to talk about who's under the most pressure and why. Then we're going to switch on over to a segment that I think you guys are going to love as the as the shows keep coming. We call it the betting segment. It's called Bet That. I'm really excited about that segment. We're going to get into a parlay for tonight's NBA game. Then we're going to go into some Major League Baseball. Oakland A's are making a move. We're going to talk about that. And you will get into my segment at the end, which we will call the two-minute warning. We're going to get into some some serious stuff. It'll be more, I guess, life stuff. You know, it it follows sports, but it all comes together in the end. That's the two-minute warning, the last segment. But before we get into all that, let's talk about NBA coaches that have basically got pink slips the last week or two. You got Mike Budenhoser, Nick Nurse. Doc Rivers, Monty Williams. Four big name coaches, big coaches in the NBA. All of them have lost their jobs and why? That's the question. Why did these four coaches lose their jobs? They were good at what they did. They were able to ingratiate themselves with the players. They were able to win games. Two of the coaches won NBA championships. Another one actually went to a final and now they're all without jobs today. What it looks like to me is the NBA is just a microwave society. If you don't win now, if you're not doing what social media says you should be doing, what these pundits on TV say you should be doing, then you're not doing your job. Everybody's calling for these jobs. And out of those four coaches, I don't know who you're going to find that's not coaching right now that are better than those four. So if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, the Phoenix Suns, Toronto Raptors, Milwaukee Bucks, when you are on this coaching search, who are you looking for? Because there ain't a lot of coaches out there that are better than those four guys. Yes, I get it. They they didn't make the proper adjustments in the playoffs that they needed to make. Or, you know, it was a it was a matchup issue. Um, the players are probably tired of hearing these coaches in the locker room. They may need to hear a new voice. But what are you going to do? So Mike Boonehose is going to get another job at one of these other vacant spots. Monty Williams has already been talked about being the philadelphia coach like they're just going to swap everybody out it doesn't make any sense these coaches are going to coach again anyway so you firing a championship coach like a nick nurse and going to a young coach that's probably not going to have the ear of the veterans and they'll end up losing more games probably don't even make the playing game next season then then you owners look crazy i think a lot of this is because these owners A lot of the owners that own sports teams, this is fun for them. This is like, look at me, I'm an owner, I have a basketball team. They don't really look at the basketball aspect of it, of building an organization, of actually building a winning team. So that's what you get. And a lot of these owners, they're just looking at what their friends say, or what social media or what TV says they need to do with these franchises, and then you fire coaches. Like, Monty Williams did not need to be fired. Maybe if he didn't, I understand these coaches may not have the locker room anymore, but is that a coaching issue or is that a player issue? So what this reeks to me of is player empowerment. Honestly, the players get too much player, is there's way too much player empowerment. We, we started with the whole load management. You got players that are making all NBA teams, all-star games, and they play 50 games a year out of 82 games. So, all right, we're not going to allow them to play as many games as they want. Okay. Then we're going to let them sit and just get ready for the playoffs. Okay. We're still going to pay them all their guaranteed money. Now, when the player is not happy, we're going to take the coaches away. So, I'll use Philly as an example. Joel Embiid wins an MVP, finally. They... Are a top three seed in the in the Eastern Conference, year after year after year. They had, I think, arguably the best record in the NBA after January. Yes, they lose in the seventh game to a defending Eastern Conference championship team. It ain't like they lost to Jimmy Butler and the Heatles. Like they lost to a good, formidable team that's actually favored to win the championship. The the Celtics were a two seed. Y'all understand that, right? It ain't like Philly lost to the Bulls. Like they lost to the team that was supposed to beat them in seven games and and Embiid missed the game and they still fired Doc Rivers. So when you look at TV today, everybody saw them out. Yeah. He don't make the adjustments. The players don't listen to him, this and that, but they, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. So if, the three seed lose to the two seed in the game seven on the road and the MVP doesn't play for a game. Now what you're telling the rest of the league is if you don't exceed expectations, you're getting fired. If you don't exceed, if you don't do more than what you're expected to do, you will be without a job. Same thing with Monty Williams, the Phoenix Suns were a four seed. They got Kevin Durant in a trade. The trade was not designed for them to win the championship this year. If you look at what they gave up to get KD, they gave up all their bench, Cam Johnson. They gave up some of their best players to get KD, to build for the future. That's why KD is still on the contract for the next two two or three years. You got Chris Paul, like clockwork. You can set your watch to it. As soon as the calendar turns to May, he gets hurt. DeAndre Ayton disappeared again but Monty Williams has to fall on the sword because the players aren't playing up the par. So he just took his team to the finals and there are four seed again, lost to a one seed with a two-time MVP in Jokic, a team that was the number one seed damn near the whole year. They lost in six games and that's not good enough. Monty Williams, you got to leave because we didn't get out of the second round. There's, there needs to be context when these coaches are getting fired and when these coaches are getting axed for doing their job the expectation was not for the suns to win the championship this year news flash just because they had kd doesn't mean they were going to win right now they have to build a team around him and devin booker first that bench did nothing the bench averaged 15 points a game the whole bench in the playoffs against a number 1 seed the highly highest rated offensive team in basketball with a two-time MVP. They weren't supposed to win that series. So you're expecting these coaches to go above and beyond, do the miraculous, just to keep their jobs on these good teams. And it's ridiculous because the players are not held up to the same standard as the coaches are. The players have to go out and win and exceed expectation. The coaches get none of the credit when they win championships. They get all the blame when they lose, though. So the double standard is crazy. So now you got four good coaches that are out, and sure enough, they'll get jobs, but they'll be at another place and just be recycled. If you're going to get rid of coaches that don't exceed expectations, that are good coaches, and you're going to get rid of them, then you might as well just start fresh. I say give Sam Cassell – Sam Cassell should be at the top of everybody's coaching list. He's been an assistant coach for years. He's been with Doc Rivers for years. He followed him from Boston to the Clippers to Philly. If he's not your number one coaching candidate, then I don't know who the hell is because if you're going to keep recycling the same quarterback or the same coaches like the NFL, you're going to get the same results. They're going to do good in the regular season. They're going to win games and then you're going to watch them fail in the playoffs and be it, you want to foresee to make it to the finals. like It's not going to happen for everybody. That's not the way sports works. So if you're going to get rid of those coaches that are top tier coaches, Even Frank Vogel got fired in LA and he won a championship. If you're going to get rid of them coaches, then you better do exactly what the Lakers did and just went a totally different direction and got a brand new coach in Darvin Ham. That's what Philly needs to do. That's what Phoenix needs to do. The Bucs need to just go ahead and get a brand new coach, a young coach, get a new voice in a new coaching style and see what happens there. When we come back, we're going to get into the NBA playoffs. We're going to talk about the Eastern Conference Finals that's happening right now as we speak. So don't turn that dial. I'll tell you all about it. You can watch me. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about the Western Conference Finals. Happened last night, game one, Denver Nuggets, LA Lakers. We'll be right back. X Factor Sports Podcast. Don't move. Yo, welcome back, X-Factor Sports Podcast, baby. Told you we right back in. We are talking about the conference finals in the NBA, Western Conference Finals, and the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm going to start with last night's game. We watched the Nuggets and the Lakers game one in in Denver, and it was a great game, great matchup. The Nuggets took that game, I I believe it was 132-126. to Lakers actually cut it to a one-possession game with a minute or so left. LeBron came down with a pull-up, I believe, an ill-advised three, especially when you had a little guy on you. I mean, you got to put some pressure on Jamal Murray, make him foul you, get to the rim, whatever it is. But I think he kind of bailed him out with that shot. We'll get into that. Let's talk about the player of the game. Nikola Jokic, 34 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists with a cherry on top, 21 rebounds, 12 rebounds in 11 minutes in the first quarter, six offensive rebounds in the first quarter, same amount of rebounds in the first quarter offensively that the Lakers had. Jokic was a man possessed last night. AD couldn't do nothing with him. AD probably had the quietest 40 points I've seen in a playoff game, Um, but he did put up 40. And this is what would worry me if I'm a Laker fan. AD put up 40. LeBron put up his 23, 25. Also Rees gave you 23. And that game didn't even look like a game until about six minutes left in the fourth quarter when the Nuggets took their foot off the gas. So if you're watching the X Factor Sports podcast, you you watching it and we talk basketball, you're talking to a basketball player, all right? I don't watch stats. I don't do analytics. We watch games here. And I analyze games totally different from what you're used to watching. So stay with me. All right. So in this game, what I saw in that first quarter, the Nuggets were ready to play. They have a home crowd on them in front of them. Game one, they were excited and they wanted to make a statement. And that's what game ones are in playoff series. It's a statement game and it's a fill out game, right? You want to feel the other team out, see what adjustments you need to make, what's working, what's not. But if you're the home team and you feel like you're the better team, your locker room is saying that this is gonna be a statement game. And We wanna come out and play the best basketball we can in the first 12 minutes to start this game off right. And I think that's what the Nuggets did. Like I said, Jokic had 12 rebounds and played 11 minutes. All right, eight points, 12 rebounds. I think he had like five or four or five assists in the first quarter. He almost had a triple double in 11 minutes. They, they did not come out to play no games with the Lakers. And then just extended the lead in the second in the second quarter. But it was a big game for the Nuggets. The reason why I say that is because the pressure is not on the Lakers necessarily to win the first game because LeBron James is known for filling out game ones. He wants to see kind of tendencies. Like he's a savant. All right. If you know anything about basketball or LeBron, his career, he's probably one of the smartest players to ever touch a basketball. So he's filling the game out. He's lost game ones in one series. That doesn't matter. All right. They lost by 30 in the last series to Golden State and still won in in six games. So it's not that big of a deal. However, the way that you got to pay attention to what the Nuggets were doing, Jamal Murray and Jokic, that that two-man game is unstoppable. The Lakers need to figure out how they're going to stop this two-man game. You can't have Anthony Davis on Jokic for 48 minutes. He's too big. He's too strong. He puts too much pressure on AD, and you need AD to go down on the other end and give you 30. It's going to wear him down, especially in that altitude. So I do like what the Lakers did in the fourth quarter. They might have figured something out, but we'll see. In game 2 we'll tell us. Instead of having AD guard Jokic straight up, what they did was they put Rui Hachimura on him in the post, and then they had AD help. So AD is on the help side, weak side. He can play free safety. He can rip protect, he can weak side block, but then he can also show on the double when Jokic makes his moves. So that may be something that they can look into, kind of slow Jokic down in the end, maybe he took his foot off the gas, maybe not. But it's something to look into later on in the series. Where they're going to struggle, the Lakers, it's Jamal Murray. It doesn't look like they have an answer for him at all. They don't have a guard that can stay in front of them. Dennis Schroeder can't do it. D'Angelo Russell can't do it. His name needs to be angelo russell because he ain't got no d (laughs) and shooter ain't gonna be able to hold him either so if jamal murray is playing like that jamal murray he looked like the jamal murray from the bubble if he's playing like that guy this is going to be a short series because they don't have an answer for him at the guard position and also what i noticed in that game the nuggets are not golden state what i mean by that is the lakers were able to play ad at the five Against Golden State because Golden State plays small ball. You got Jermichael Green, Draymond Green. They play smaller. They play that's your four and your five. The Nuggets, you got a six foot ten small forward in Michael Porter Jr., a six foot ten power forward in Aaron Gordon, and a seven foot one center in Jokic, who is a point center. They play the game totally different. All right, the, the, all of the offense goes through a seven footer versus all of the offense going through a six foot six forward in Draymond Green, who's not a scoring threat. You you understand what I'm saying? So Draymond initiates offense with passing and screening. He's not a rim roll. He doesn't dive to the rim. He doesn't pop and hit jump shots. He doesn't bring you any offense. He initiates offense. Jokic initiates offense. He scores. He rebounds. He assists. He sets screens. He's unselfish. That's a lot in a basketball game to account for. When you have somebody that is a quadruple threat on the court offensively, points, rebounds, assists, screens. So with Draymond, he's only two-dimensional. When you have Jokic, who is four or five-dimensional player, that you have to account for, and they play bigger. Okay. You don't need Jamal Murray to initiate offense. Jamal Murray is there to score. And that's the difference. When you play against a bigger team, and the bigger and the big men initiate and can score versus playing a small ball team where you have a six a undersized power forward who doesn't it's not a scoring threat. That's the biggest difference I think the Lakers are going to see against this Nuggets team and that's the adjustment Darvin Ham is going to have to make. But when AD gives you 40 points like when AD was scoring in the first, in the last series against Golden State the, the, the points were loud what I mean, like, 80 had 30 and 21 game, and then he looked like Wilt Chamberlain <laughs> playing against Golden State. He had 40 last night, and he looked like another guy on the court because of Jokic's presence. That's the difference, and that's what needs to be seen when watching these games. Is from series to series, game to game, the level of intensity gets higher, the skill level gets higher. Darvin Ham, his experience, it's like it's like he's going up into space without a space suit. like the, the oxygen is just going away. The higher up you get in playoffs, he's losing air. Um, and with this team, the Nuggets, they look really impressive. They look impressive all playoff long. And uh, honestly, I don't see it stopping here. Um, we'll see if LeBron has enough left in the tank because they're gonna be going every other day. You don't get that travel day of the rest for two days. It's every other night. Game two is tomorrow, game three is Saturday, game four, is Monday, so they're gonna play four games in seven days. It'll be interesting to see how LeBron and AD hold up, coming from altitude back to LA. We'll see what happens in that series. So the question is, are the Lakers in trouble? I won't say that they're in trouble even after all that hyperbole. I won't say they're in trouble because it's one game, but looking at the adjustments that they have to make from Golden State to the Nuggets, If they don't make that adjustment in game two, they are in trouble. That's how I feel. Now, for the Eastern Conference, the game that's going on right now, Boston Celtics, Miami Heat. This is just going to be a case of the depth of the Celtics versus the Jimmy Butler brilliance, the Jimmy Butler experience, Jimmy Buckets. Every time, personally, every time Jimmy Butler has a good playoff game, I get mad. You know why? Because he used to be a Chicago bull and we let him go. <laughs> so every time he has a great game, I'm just like, damn, we used to have Jimmy Buckets, man. Like, and now we don't have them no more. So it's all good. I'm not upset about it at all, as you can tell. Right. So in this series with the Celtics, you got the Celtics and the Heat. The depth of the Celtics is just different. All right. It's it's something that the Heat haven't ran into yet. This is the series I feel like they're going to miss Tyler Hero the most. You need another scoring threat to alleviate some of that off Jimmy Butler. Jimmy's going to be, he's going to have to sustain an amount of energy I don't know another human being to have in this playoffs. He's got to turn into D-Wade in 2006 if he wants to win this series because the Celtics are just going to come at you with waves and waves of defenders. Marcus Smart. Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, who will probably get the assignment to guard him most of the series, like just waves. And then when he gets, if he's able to get past them, you got rib protectors and Al Horford and Robert Waves just waiting for him. So it'll be interesting to see what the Heat can do with the depth of the Celtics and the offensive firepower of the Celtics with Tatum and Brown. It'll be interesting to see if Jimmy Butler has enough left in the tank, I'm excited to see this series and the and the team I feel like that wins this series will probably have a pretty good shot in the NBA finals. That's called a teaser right there for you guys. You gotta watch every episode on Wednesday nights to get those types of predictions. But that's how I feel. So we got that series going on, the Eastern Conference right now, and then you got the Western Conference. Tomorrow game two. After the break, when we come back, we're gonna get into the NFL. We're going to talk about these schedules. Came out last week. We're going to talk about who has the toughest schedule and who has the easiest schedule. You might be surprised at who I think has the toughest schedule this season. And then we're going to talk about Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, number one, number two picks in the NFL draft. We're going to talk about who's under the most pressure between them two. This is Jay Mondain at the X Factor Sports Podcast. Do not go anywhere. I will be right back. Hey, yo, Welcome back to the X-Factor Sports Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We are re-airing episode one, the series premiere. We're going to get into the NFL right now. We're going to talk about schedules. So the schedules came out last week, and I got to tell you, I'm ain't nobody more excited than me to know that the Bears are not going to be going to Germany. I can watch them right here in KC, beat up on the Chiefs in week three. Can't wait to see that game. But we're going to talk about the schedules right now. We're going to talk about who's got the toughest schedule and who has the easiest one. And you might be surprised. The Chiefs and the Eagles both went to the Super Bowl. So you would assume that they would probably have the toughest schedule, but actually they don't. The New England Patriots. Yeah, believe it or not, the New England Patriots actually do have the toughest schedule this year. I'll tell you why. So they play in the AFCs, which we already know you got. The Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills in that division. The new-look Jets, I should say. The the rebuilt, the revamped, uninjured Dolphins. (laughs) And then you got Buffalo, who won the division the last two years. All three of those teams will be good, much improved. And the Patriots will probably be last place in that division. Belichick's going to have to eat eat some more L's this year. So they got to play those teams twice. So that's six games right there. And then outside of their division... They got to go against arguably two of the best divisions in football. And they have the two teams that went to the Super Bowl in them. They got to play the AFC West this year and NFC East. So that's why I think they have the toughest schedule based on last year's records. You got to run into the chiefs. You got to go, you got to play against the chargers. I think that Denver will be a better team this year. I think Russ will have something to prove. You have the NFC East. Obviously you got, Philadelphia Eagles that they got to run into. They got to play the Dallas Cowboys, who are always good. As long as you catch the Dallas Cowboys before Thanksgiving. I mean, as long as you, if you catch them before Thanksgiving, you're in trouble, I should say. As soon as they get that turkey in them, something happened to them. I don't know. But they got the Dallas Cowboys, they got to run into. And then obviously, like I said, Philly, Dallas. They got the Redskins they got to run into as well. And New Look, New York Giants are actually good too. They have five playoff teams that they'll be playing last year. Five teams that made the playoffs and the two teams that actually represented the AFC and the NFC in the Super Bowl. So that's why I think they have the toughest schedule. They're going to run into a lot of buzzsaws this year, but Belichick's just getting his, his upcomings. You know, he benefited from having an easy schedule all those years with Brady when the AFC East was trash. And now he's got to deal with a good AFC East team where he's the worst team. He's looking like the Jets now from the early 2000s, and you got to deal with the AFC West, NFC East. So, ain't looking too good for the Patriots. Because of that, I think they have the toughest schedule. Now to the easiest or the weakest schedule. The easiest schedule is probably going to be the Atlanta Falcons. They're not a good team, but because of their division they play in and the other two divisions they have to play outside of theirs, it makes for a weak schedule. The opponent's winning percentage from last year is 42%. So not even 500 football, the teams that they're going to be playing against this year, didn't even play 500 football. So they might be in good shape as far as as on paper. They're in the worst division in football with the New Orleans Saints, Tampa Bay, and the Carolina Panthers, who just picked number one. Show you how bad they are. They picked number one overall uh, pick. And then they play against the NFC North. Sad to say, one of the bad divisions. And AFC South which if you know anything about the AFC South, yikes. <laughs> so they got them two divisions. I feel like um, the Atlanta Falcons will be better this year because of the schedule. This this is one of those teams where the schedule will help their record because the Atlanta Falcons are a decent team. They're, they're going to be a bottom. They'll probably be in the bottom 20 to 30, but they will be improved. I think their record will get better uh, because they're bringing everybody back. Ritter, the new quarterback, has some experience under them, so they'll play better. But based on last year's record, that's what reflects what this schedule looks like this year. Is kind of an easy schedule. All the teams they play will be much improved, but based on, like I said last year, that's what we got. So let's talk about it. You got the toughest schedule will be the Patriots, and the Atlanta Falcons have the easiest schedule. If you think about it, it's kind of crazy. They played the Super Bowl a few years back. Remember, everybody remembers 28-3. to 3. You see it everywhere. Every time you see 28-3, to 3, you kind of chuckle a little bit, even if you're not a fan of the teams. <laughs> yes, that's because it was the Atlanta Falcons and the Patriots. And now you fast forward, and they're both bottom-feeder teams, basically. The Atlanta Falcons are one of the worst teams in football in the worst division. And then the Patriots is one of the worst teams in their division, and Belichick, they got Belichick uh getting questioned like, is he really one of the greatest coaches ever? I mean, no Tom Brady. Brady already proved what he is outside of Belichick in one in this first year. And now we got Belichick scratching and clawing to get nine wins. So it's just funny how how time works, how the karma of sports works. You know, it ain't enough, there ain't enough deflate gating in the world that can save them this year. So we'll see what happens to the Patriots. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get into who's under the most pressure, though, when it comes to these quarterbacks. The number one pick, Bryce Young, and the number two pick, C.J. Stroud. All right, so C.J. Stroud, let's talk about him coming out of Ohio State. There is not a very rich history of recency when it comes to the number one picks from Ohio State quarterbacks. You had Troy Smith, who was a Heisman Trophy winner. You had J.T. Barrett. And now we got Justin Fields over in Chicago as the quarterbacks from the most recent pass from Ohio State. I believe C.J. Stroud will actually be better. He's a bigger, more prototypical quarterback, more of a Cam newton size, athletic body, but he can throw. He He's an he in-the-pocket quarterback. He's a pocket passer. Even though Houston has a defensive coach, Nolan Ryan, or Miko Ryan, sorry, I think they wanted this quarterback because they're going to be a defensive-minded team, but they want a dynamic quarterback that can run the ball and throw. And I think C.J. Stroud is the perfect pick for them. So I'm glad they got that quarterback. As far as being under pressure, though, you are the number two overall pick, which means you're in a situation where this team wants you to win right away. They want you to have success right away. you got to fill the shoes that Deshaun Watson left. And ironically, C.J. Stroud has the same agent as Deshaun Watson. So he'll probably get a little tutelage on how to handle the city, just keep him away from the massage parlors, and it should be straight. But he'll still be under the most – he'll still be under a lot of pressure, though, just not the pressure, you know, that type of pressure. it will be more on the football field. Now, if we talk about Bryce Young, I think the boy Bryce Young, number one overall pick, comes with a lot of pressure anyway, right? The Carolina Panthers moved up, got rid of their number one receiver in DJ Moore, got him to the Chicago Bears to get that number one overall pick. So that right there already set the table for how much pressure that Bryce Young is going to be under anyway. So not only is he the number one pick, he was a Heisman Trophy winner. He's quote unquote undersized at 5'11". came from Alabama, prestigious football powerhouse. And he he goes to a team that needs to win now. Let's not ignore that the last time the Carolina Panthers picked the number one Heisman Trophy winning quarterback out of the SEC, it was Cam Newton. He won an MVP. He went to a Super Bowl. He was a great quarterback in that window of time. It wasn't that long ago that Cam Newton had all these kids doing this in the end zone celebrating. It wasn't that long ago. So... You got Bryce Young, who has to come into that under pressure, and he's already got his owner talking about Super Bowls, plural, Super Bowls. So immense amount of pressure. It's obvious Bryce Young is under the most amount of pressure. They're both under some pressure, but I think that Bryce Young has to handle it the most. He's in a win-now situation. He is playing with some veterans. They've been in a quarterback carousel for I don't know how long, since they – Once when Matt Rule was the coach there, Baker Mayfield dipped his toe in the water in Carolina. Sam uh, Sam Darnold was there. And they've gone through a lot of high draft-picking quarterbacks, like top one and two quarterbacks over the last few years. So that will put a lot of pressure on Bryce Young to get the job done. When we come back, we are going to get into a segment I think y'all are going to love every week. You're going to look forward to every week. It's called Bet That. This is where we talk about parlays. We're going to talk about this segment on who you should pick, what picks you should make to win that bread. So when we come back, we will get into the segment called Bet That. This is the X-Factor Sports Podcast, re-airing the premiere. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. Like I said, we are at this time for this segment. We call it Bet That. This is where we are going to talk about sports betting. We're going to talk about parlays. We're going to talk about making picks. And in the fall, when we get to fantasy football and fantasy sports, I'm going to talk about fantasy sports as well, how to make picks. I'm also doing um, all different types of sports when it comes to betting. And now we're going to talk about this one game parlay for tonight's game, the Boston Celtics against the Miami Heat game, one of the Eastern Conference Finals. For those of you who aren't familiar with betting, a parlay is basically when you place a bet, you can put multiple things to happen in a game or multiple games. All those things need to happen exactly how you pick them in order to win the full bet. So this particular parlay is going to be a five leg parlay on one game. The legs are basically the the picks that I make. So we got five legs, three from three short of a spike, right? So the first leg of the parlay is the money line. The money line is when you are picking a team to just win the game, all right? You're not worried about overs and unders. You're not worried about spreads. It's just money line. So tonight we're gonna go with the Boston Celtics straight up on the money line. The reason why we're going straight up is because the spread was eight points, and this is gonna be a defensive game, a defensive series. I don't know if the Celtics are going to cover an eight point spread in game one against a tough Miami Heat team, but I do think they will win game one. They are 74 and 22 all time in game ones in their history. And I think that they will come through and win this game at home might be a one, though. That's why we're taking the under in the second leg. The under is at 210 and a half or the, the game total is 210 and a half. I'm going to take the under. I think the score of this game is going to be somewhere around 104 to 101. Probably don't even break 100 this game, one of the teams. So we're going to go under 210. All right. The reason why I say that, two good defensive teams. They're both basically neck and neck in defensive rated in top five in the playoffs. And game one is usually more of a fill out game. So you're going to get a lot of mistakes. You may get some turnovers. This might be slow paced. Teams are trying to figure each other out. So you're probably not going to get the high line that you're used to seeing in this game. So that's the reason why I'm taking the under on the 210 and a half. The third leg, we're going to go with Jason Tatum. I got Tatum getting under 29 and a half points. So go ahead and make that pick. He averages 24 and a half points per game at home in his career in the playoffs, in, especially in game ones. He is a young player, up and coming, great superstar. But he's a little inconsistent. He's still not at the point yet in his career and his prime where you can just book him for 30 points a night. He's not there yet. So I'm going to put him under 29 and a half. It's going to be a defensive battle. He had 51 points in a a must-win game seven. I think he falls down to earth and sticks around his averages in this defensive game. So I'm going to go with Tatum under 29 and a half. The fourth leg, Jimmy Buckets. I'm going to have Jimmy Buckets get under 28 and a half tonight. Just because, like I said, as you can notice, the theme of this parlay is the defense. So defensive battle. The Celtics have a lot of long-ranging defensive players, a lot of long athletic players. It's going to be a totally different look from what he saw against Milwaukee because Chris Middleton was hurt. And he was just cooking Drew Holiday. And it's going to be a totally different look from what he sees or what he saw against the Knicks. They don't have anybody as good defensively as a Jalen Brown or a Marcus Smart. And they can throw Grant Williams at you, and they can throw Malcolm Brogdon, and Tatum will probably get a piece of them as well. Because of all those different looks in this first game, this fill-out game where the adjustments will be made, I think Jimmy will be under 28 points tonight. Then the last leg of the parlay, Bam grabs over eight boards. That may be a surprise to you guys. That might be my little sleeper right there, grabbing eight boards from Bam Adebayo. The reason why I may be a sleeper is because of Al Horford and Robert Williams. Two bigs, obviously known to play hard rebound, but I feel like Bam out of can match the intensity over Robert Williams and Al Horford in this game. He's going to probably catch him by surprise. I think a lot of second chance points will come off, a lot of missed shots just because of everybody trying to fill the game out. And I think he'll be the beneficiary of a lot of rebounds because of that. He's a lot more athletic and a lot more intense than Joel Embiid was in the last series, who the Celtics played against, because Joel Embiid was hurt, so he really couldn't move around as much with that bad knee. So I think they, they're going to see a healthy and energized Bam Adebayo, and I see him grabbing over eight boards. So that's my parlay. This segment of Bet That, the five-legger, we got the money line, go with the Celtics, go under 210 and a half for the total points, Tatum will get under 29 and a half. Jimmy Buckets will get under 28 and a half. And then Bam is grabbing over eight boards. So go ahead and plug that in. If you haven't, you can still do live bets. And by the way, this is a disclaimer. I'm not a bookie. This ain't Vegas. This ain't none of that. I'm just a guy that likes to talk about sports betting. And I do all right when I do place bets. So you can take that advice if you want to. But we're going to be here every week talking bets, talking, getting that bread, all right? When we come back, We will switch into Major League Baseball. The Oakland A's are doing something a little different, doing something that other teams have been doing from that part of the country when we come back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. Yeah! Yo, 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 we are back. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I appreciate it. Uh, We are on YouTube Live and we are on Facebook Live and we will be on TikTok Live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. This is the re-air of the series premiere. I wanted to give y'all a double dip because we're excited about getting this content out to you. So now we're going to get into Major League Baseball. The Oakland A's, they are following suit. Like you would imagine, every other Oakland team looks to the east and say, "Oh damn, there goes some uh, what's that? That's uh, that's some desert over there. Oh, they got they got money over there. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna move my team over there. So, as you can imagine, Oakland A's moved to Vegas, or they reached a land agreement to build on the Vegas Strip. Let me not say they moved already. I want y'all thinking I'm crazy." They haven't moved yet, but they reached a land agreement to move to Vegas. So they will follow suit like the Raiders did and move to Vegas as well. And now you have four major sports basically going to be in Vegas in 25, 20 year, 2025-2026. They already got the Vegas Aces, the WNBA. You got the Las Vegas Knights, NHL, who actually won a Stanley Cup already for them in their expansion year. You got the Raiders. And now you'll get the Oakland A's. And I think in about the next 10 or 15 years, you might get an NBA team. There's a guy still playing in the NBA who wants a team out there, and he probably will make it happen. Um, But for now, the Oakland A's moving to Vegas. Uh, They've tried for two decades to get a new stadium in Oakland, and the city just won't do it. So same reason the Raiders left. The Oakland A's, it's time for them to move. Same reason Golden State left. You know, they had a great arena at Oracle, but it was time for them to go across the bridge to San Francisco and get in the Chase Arena, which I hear is a beautiful arena. I want to go to San Francisco to see that, see a game out there for sure. And now the Oakland A's are heading out. Um, a lot of history in Oakland. They won when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, quick story, when a team won a championship, we used to get pennants in grade school if you were like honor roll perfect attendance whatever so back when i liked school i actually used to get these pennants (laughs) and i remember getting the oakland a's pennant when they won the world series in 89 they had the bash brothers They had mark mcguire and jose casego back in the day a lot of my old heads probably remember that so there's a lot of history in Oakland, from winning championships in the 80s, late, early and late 80s. Ricky Henderson, of course, all-time leader in steals. So a lot of that history, unfortunately, will come to an end in the city of Oakland. And I feel kind of bad as a as a sports fan for a city that's had teams for so many years, and now they just won't have teams anymore. It's kind of crazy to think about. But at the same time, it's a business. Major League Baseball is a non-salary cap league and when you see cities like new york la houston chicago miami when you see these big cities san francisco when you see these big cities making moves and making money and spending money and getting the best players you at some point as an owner you have to make a business decision and if you're not getting the things you need the necessary things you need to build a team in that city, you got to move. That's why you have expansion. That's why you have teams leaving cities. In the NBA, Seattle was not, the the city of Seattle would not rejuvenate the franchise, the arena. They wouldn't bring in any players. And you had a team, you had a city in Oklahoma that was starving for a franchise. And they ended up getting what is now the Oklahoma City Thunder from Seattle, and that's what happens. I mean, the Vancouver Grizzlies, where the Memphis Grizzlies are now, actually started in Vancouver in in the early 90s. You weren't getting very much revenue. A lot of the players didn't like going up to the Northwest to play in basketball games in December, January, February. So moving them to Memphis changed a lot. You had a lot of fans in the middle of the country and in the South that didn't have a team. I mean, between Atlanta, and basically moving all the way up to Indiana and Chicago. There was no basketball in the middle of that. So that's why you get Memphis. So the same thing is happening with the Oakland A's. They're not getting the revenue. They're not getting the players, the non-salary cap players want to go to Oakland and play baseball, but who doesn't want to go to Vegas to play? So I think this is a good move, a good business decision for the Oakland A's to move their team but you still feel some type of way as a sports fan for the fans of that city. So they reached a land agreement and they're gonna build along the Vegas Strip is what's being reported. So that'll be exciting. You get into Vegas, you got the Raiders stadium, the A stadium. Now they got, I think the Vegas Aces just built a brand new facility after winning the WNBA title. Formula One racing is in Vegas now. I mean, Vegas is on fire right now with sports. Great place to be all year round. And now they got baseball coming here in the next couple of years. The expected cost is to be $1.5 billion with B. Yeah, you heard me right. $1.5 billion to build a stadium out there. Um, 35 acres, I believe is what it is. They're going to have over 35,000 fans or 35,000 seats for fans. I'm sure everything will be state of the art. Be probably the nicest stadium you'll run into on the, West side of the Mississippi from Atlanta, it will probably be the best stadium you run into for baseball. Before that though, the Oakland A's are asking for nearly $400 million in public support from the Nevada legislature. And that is the reason why they're leaving Oakland. (laughs) They asked for $400 billion in public support. The the money is just not there in the city of Oakland, or either the the legislature don't want to provide in the state of California or I mean they probably feel like they got enough teams in the state of california to support and so they're like all right y'all can have Oakland." so or the a's rather so the a's will be moving to vegas because of that so they are voting on a proposal this week to confirm and we probably will hear some more news next week about where they're going with that so if that does happen the oakland a's lease is not up until 2024 so you still have the rest of this season and you'll have all the next season to kind of get a farewell tour of the Oakland A's. And then they'll be able to play in a triple-A ballpark in Vegas for 25 and 26 until they get their new stadium built. But that's the big news in Major League Baseball. Oakland A's are following suit with the Raiders, moving on over to Vegas. I guess it gives those Californians a better excuse to go ahead and go to Nevada, place bets, hang out at Circle Hotel, watch the bet that segment. <laughs> Get some, get some tips, and enjoy their team out there in the next few years. When we come back, we're going to end the show with a two-minute warning. We're going to get into John Morant, how I feel about the situation, where he is now, where he needs to go moving forward. This is the X Factor Sports Podcast. Come right back. Comments. Welcome back to the X Factor Sports podcast. Again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in, bringing in your comments. We will have comments all the time. I will start getting into those as the season progresses and getting into some live dialogue with you guys, all right? For the 2 minutes, 2 minute warning. Let's talk real quick about John Moran. If you've been watching the news or social media, you've seen him in multiple pictures photos videos waving guns around we all know that's not a good look he's a 23 year old african-american male in america all right just giving yourself an excuse to be a target it's just dumb it's like he doesn't have the right support system around him to tell him hey this ain't a good look bro you are worth hundreds of millions of dollars you got kids that look up to you you're a sports icon you can be the ambassador of the league and you're trying to throw it all away, trying to be cool. Like if he's in a circle of friends that are okay with this, he's in the wrong circle. Like if you got a tight circle and you got a good crew, they will tell you, bro, what the hell are you doing with these guns? Get, get this out of here, go home, get with your family. Like he's got a daughter, everything like he needs to chill out. And T Morant, where the hell is T Morant now? Like when Shannon Sharp in the crowd, you see him all jumping up and down, ready to act tough. He's at all the fun events, he's at all the games. When your son needs you the most, he's nowhere to be found. This is where it's time to sit a young man down like this and tell him, look, your future is more important than being on the street, on social media, trying to be a game banger. Like the game bangers want to be you. Like you supposed to be the big homie. Like you got you ain't in the street no more. All the game bangers is hoopers that wanted to hoop, but they wasn't good enough. And you trying to be them. Like you working backwards, you hustling backwards. So just get your head on straight, man. I'm not one for a second and third and fourth chances. The second time NBA needs to suspend him for about 30, 40 games. Take some of his money. Maybe he'll wake up, but he needs to wake up, man. It's uh, it's not it's not a game in these streets. You need to take care of yourself. You guys take care of yourself. Health and wealth is Jay Mondain of the X Factor Sports Podcast. Appreciate y'all watching. Tune in next week, Wednesday, 7 p.m., season two, or season one, episode two. I want to thank my producer, Mrs. D. Couldn't have done this without her. She's been solid with me all the way through this. We're going to keep it moving. This is the X Factor Sports Podcast. Peace.